This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Amy Trask, and you are listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Tip. Yes, we are back with the eye test for two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are both Hall of Fame voters, as I hope you know by now, with one who just returned from a couple weeks in California. How'd that go, Ira? Oh, it was fantastic. Santa Barbara. I had a $150 lunch at Malibu, Clark. <laughs> Wish you would have. Wow. Yeah, on the money you're making on this podcast, I can see how you do it, Ira. <laughs> and I we are done. I sacked that linguine. I sacked the, the crab and shrimp linguine just like Al Baker. That's what I did. Yeah. But was, was that an official or an unofficial record, Ira? Yeah. I'll wait till pro football reference weighs in, Clark. Yeah, and our John Turney. Anyway, we're also joined today, as we always are, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. And Ian... I know you're a football historian, an NFL historian, so I'll ask you this question. Who holds the single season record for most sacks? Well, if you were going to ask me about a week to two weeks ago, I'd say Michael Strahan. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you to today. So who really holds it? Well, that would be our esteemed guest today, Mr. Bubba Baker. So uh, I'm glad we're all here to to learn this very important uh Factoid. <laughs> you are correct, sir, and you are correct about Al Bubba Baker being with us today. He had 23 sacks with Detroit in his rookie season in the NFL, and he now joins us from Tampa, where the two of you guys are. Ian's in St. Petersburg, Ira's in Tampa, Bubba's in Clearwater, so I guess this is the, again, Tampa 3 broadcast, but Bubba, yes. thanks so much for being here, and congratulations on finally, finally getting recognized for a record that for years you insisted you held. Thanks, Clark. But, you know, actually, I didn't really insist it. Um, it, it, would, it would occasionally come up, and, um, you know, it was just kind of sensitive, just the way Strahan got 22.5 when Brett fell on the ground. That kind of bothered me. You know, that that was that just that part because he didn't need it. He was having a great year, and it just kind of tainted the whole idea of all the work it takes to get to the quarterback. That was the only um, thing that I ever voiced out about. Is well, you know, what was that about? You know, yeah, yeah. And yeah that was the only thing. I was at that game. I think those who covering were covering the game wondered the same sort of thing. It sure looked like Brett Favre took a dive. It sure did, and um, to get that record. But I know when I when I started reading things after John Turney, who's a guest of this show, frequent guest of the show and an NFL historian, when he first did this um, record uh, dating back to 1960, looked at all the records and he came up with your 23 single season sacks and he published it and it got a lot of attention. And I heard that you started crying when you first were told about it, that the record was authenticated. Could you tell us about that moment? 
Well, yeah, I was sitting out on the patio and I was uh, I was praying and I was trying to I try to set my day um, because, it, you know, all of us have planned. It doesn't always go that way, but I like to have a, a plan in place for how I was going to go about the day. I do that every morning. I never turn my phone on before 10 a.m. because I go to the gym after that, and, you know, and I have my my uh, smoothie. And my uh, I have a routine for whatever reason this particular morning. I grabbed my phone, picked it up, and on it, I saw David Singer uh, on the text, and it said, how do you feel? And I could tell it was like done in the middle of the night. I'm like, I don't know a David Singer. I click on it, and he says, you know, he asked me my opinion of what was going on with the sack record. I don't have a clue what, what he's talking about now. Obviously, this was discussed in the middle of the night or in a different time zone, you know late in Dallas or somewhere, wherever that, that occurred. Uh, once I read it, uh, I tapped on the screen, the, the uh, patio door, and, you know, and I was looking at my wife. I was speechless. I'm never speechless, but I was speechless that moment. I was like, hey, babe, come, come look at this. And my wife, the first thing she goes is, what's wrong? You know, because I never touch my phone. That, that's a rule. I don't touch my phone until 10. And so now I'm starting to water and, and, and uh, tear up. And, and then she starts crying and I started crying. And, and it took me a couple of days to figure out, well, why, why tear? You know, you're six foot seven and 290 pounds. You're crying like a baby. What is it? Well, it's all the years that I forgot. Hey, guys, let's be honest. This is 43 years later. Right. And unless you've been in a cave, you know, um, really, if you've been in the Holy Land, in a cave somewhere with the Dead Sea Scrolls, life comes into play. You know, I, I'm about to have my fifth grandkid. I haven't thought about these sacks since 2001, since that whole incident where Brett Favre fell. I just kind of forgot about it. And, and you know, one thing that um, would come up with, I'd go somewhere to speak. And, and people would say things like, yeah, I see you got 65 and a half sacks. And they'd announce, you know, they would introduce me to that. This guy has 65 sacks, you know, and I, it kind of flashed in my head. And I'm like, well, I, I think I got a few more than 65. And, uh, <laughs> that, you know, I mean, you know, again, I, I never wanted to be the guy that broke his arm patting himself on the back. So, right. you know, right. the, like I said, that falling on the ground, it was, you know, I love this game, by the way. You know, I'm a fat, bow-legged kid from Newark, New Jersey, born in Jacksonville, looking at the Cleveland Browns playing the Dallas Cowboys. And I said one day, remember the old days on CBS when it was just one game and they were introducing the player, had his helmet in his, under his arm, and he ran out. And I saw that. Man, I got goosebumps just, just thinking about it. And I said to myself, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do. You know, and I went outside and I started throwing, you know, blocks on everybody. Chuck Howley, who's the captain of the Dallas Cowboys. I was 11 years old. It was hot. It's like watching the Olympics, you know, now. And so I was watching a Sunday football game, you know, um, um, and and I just, I fell in love with football. Mm. And I got to tell you guys this. I, I was so dialed into it. I would say, you know, coming out of the tunnel, Al Bubba Baker, and oh, I'd hear the fans. And, and as a fat kid, I smell hot dogs and popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So it got, it got, you know, that old day football got into me, man. And I was in love. That was it. I was done. I was done. Yeah, you, you hey. had in five years of Detroit, you had a great, great run. And I think I looked at the numbers today. I think you had 74 sacks in 67 games, which is astounding. But let me ask you this, because John Turney um, comes up with that pro football research, comes up with that record, 23 yeah. single sacks. And so we now all know that you are the record holder. However, a couple of days later, the NFL said, yeah, it wouldn't really <laughs> officially recognize that record, which, of course, brought tears to our eyes. We don't get it. How about you? I don't get it. I, I, I think it has a lot to do with um, just the power because John Turney works for the NFL, basically, you know, and, and so uh, he does this research. And they respect his research and, and, and most everybody respects him for his hard work and his ability. Yeah. Um, I think it's the thing that large organizations don't admit guilt. They just don't. If you ever see a, a, a legal case and they pay people billions of dollars for something wrong and they say, but we admit no guilt. I, right. I kind of took it that way because um, an agent friend of mine named Neil Cornridge, Neil sent me the article. He said, what is this about, man? And it was all about me and Deacon Jones and all the other sacks. And, and, you know, Neil was upset. And I said, Neil, it was 43 years ago. I got a grandbaby. I'm going back to Ohio in, you know, like seven days. I'm going to be waiting like a catcher for my granddaughter, you know, Lena Elizabeth Baker. I haven't been sitting around going, okay, I got 23 sacks and nobody's acknowledging me. Uh, I just got to, you know, it's not even over, but I've been in the middle of COVID, guys. Life happens. So, so hey, NFL, thank you for even the mention. Let's see what happens, you know, but I'm just not going to get involved. I remember John Mackey got involved in his own campaign. It was weird to me, you know, and I just saw a quote by Herman Moore. It was somebody picked it up, and after Calvin, who went into the Hall of Fame, Herman Moore said, you know, something to the fact that I know I belong in the Hall of Fame. And it just seemed so weird to me that a guy would do that after, you know what I mean? Years after, it's like, well, don't you have a life? What What is that going to do for my life if people start to acknowledge, you know, if, if somebody um, says all of a sudden, well, it's an official sack, right? Am I going to start working like George Jefferson and, you know, Wheezy? I'm a, I'm 23 sacks, you know, it, 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 it is one of those things that, that I feel like I am the representative of a group of guys. Cause you guys, you guys know football. So you don't get 23 sacks as a rookie. Number one, number one, unless the veterans, Doug English and, and uh, Dave Pierfoy, Kenny Sanders, whose job I took, right. Um, and and Bill Gay, unless well, Bill Gay was a rookie also, unless they respect you, yeah. and, you know, you know how it was back then for a rookie. You know, they sent you for donuts, they made you go look for a turkey. You know, I did none of that because from the minute they came in as uh, as veterans, you know, Doug Henley said to me, "Hey, look, we need you to play." And I said, "All right." And and Floyd Peters, my goodness, I thought my middle name was a four letter word. Um, each. He treated me like a mule, you know. I mean, really. And, and I hated the guy. 
I mean, that was a guy that I absolutely, I used to have nightmares about him on Sunday night. I'd get three sacks, maybe 10 tackles, and, and I couldn't sleep, you know, because I'd be thinking about Monday when we go in the meeting room, how Floyd's going to respond to me, you know, and he was brutal on me, you know, and he called me rookie. I never had a name. Matter of fact, he made me wear Baker on my helmet right into like six, seven games into the regular season, you know. I mean, it was those guys. So I'm the guy that's kind of like the steward. These 23 sacks are a representation of that motley, that motley crew that I was a member of because we were a motley crew, man. <laughs> Everybody in that meeting room had like, I'm seriously, our picture might have been in the FBI in the post office or somewhere, man. We were just, and we, we, we bonded. And I got to tell you guys, uh, I've been sharing this with people. I thought for just a brief moment, I thought it was me. And then I went to St. Louis and there was more talent in the room. Curtis Greer, David Galloway, Mark Duda, all these guys that had these, these monikers. He runs a four or five and, you know, the, you know, the, the, the draft choices that they had, uh, Dardar from LSU, you know, I got there and we underachieved. Then I got to Cleveland, and there was all these guys that we played with. And the key to it is is marriage, gelling. You got to have seven guys in that room that play for each other. And I never had the success that I had in the silver in in, in the silver rush because oh Minnesota, Dolman, uh, uh, Millard, uh, Henry Turns. At one point, there was five of us that have been all pros, but we've never loved each other enough to play unselfishly. You know, they were good, but man, we could have been great. We could have broke every sack record there was, but guys counted sacks. You know, the first thing they did, they, they wanted the statistics to see how many sacks they had. We did none of that in the Silver Rush. We did none of that. We played for each other. That's the difference. And that's why I can't take all the credit. I accept the credit on behalf of the Silver Rush but not individually. Couldn't be. But I just want to mention one thing before Ari gets in here. Uh, John Turney doesn't work for the NFL. He's a historian and he works independently and he's actually sort of prodding okay. them on, let's make this official. So um, okay. John's an ally okay. here. Go ahead, Ira. I, um, well, what I, thought I, what I wanted to say was they respect him. That, yeah, he do. We all do. Better yeah. Well, do. Yeah, everybody. I respect him. Yeah. Uh, Al, tell, tell me a little bit about Colorado State. What's going on here? A kid out of Newark, New Jersey. Uh, how, how much were you recruited? And um, uh, don't tell me you started on the offensive line at Colorado State. Well, what was going on out there? Well, I was fat. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was a fat kid. And, uh, you know, I was 6'6", six, six, and I was 265 pounds. But my background was basketball. You know, in the inner city, Newark, New Jersey, basketball was the main sport, not, not football. And the reason that I went to Colorado State was I got a chance to visit. You know, back then we didn't have all these rules that we have now that, that are needed for recruiting. But I got an opportunity to go because um, Floyd Kerr was my basketball coach and he attended Colorado State. Jim Williams, we were the WAC then. We uh, weren't the Mountain Conference. And they promised me that I would have an opportunity to go out and play for basketball. They said it was okay. Any other school that I went to um, said absolutely not. And so that was kind of part of my deal. I was like, hey, I want to play 
basketball and football, which I did for all four years. I don't know if you guys know that, but I was, I was a uh, six man for four years. And, and uh, I, I thought I was going to go to the NBA, but what, what actually happened was there was a guy that played for the Dallas Cowboys. who was a former Cleveland Brown. He changed my life. And uh, his name was John Wooten. You remember him? He's a scout. Sure, sure. Sure, Very yeah. well respected. He came into my sophomore year and uh, Ira, it was crazy. So he comes in, I'm sitting in the training room and he walks up to me and he grabs me on the back of my tricep. And he said, you know, if you get in there in the weight room, uh, you could be like Mulaney and Al Simpson and Kevin McClain and Willie Miller and uh, uh, Wayne Washington. You could go to the NFL. Never had given it any thought other than the fact that the NFL was why I loved football. And he said to me, he pushed me in the stomach and basically called me a big doughboy. And he said, you need to get your butt in the weight room and, you know, cut some weight. And coming from him and Charlie Army uh, was our defensive coordinator. So Wooten comes to spring ball practice and Wooten said, hey, hey, Charlie, let me see him. Put him over there at the end. So they put me over at the right defensive end position. And Steve Cyphers was the starting left tackle, and I was behind him. So I didn't like Cyphers to begin with. You know, he had my position. <laughs> and we were in one, we were in one-on-one pass. And so remember, I was a basketball player. So my first time off the ball, I give him a jab step like I was going inside. He jumps inside, fly right by him, bam. I hit the quarterback, and that's the first thing that Army wanted to let me know. You don't touch the quarterback. I said, all right. <laughs> so the next time, I I just got up in a biker stance, you know, and Cypher's, the he moves. I come off the ball, fly right by him. Next time, he's looking for something. I took the inside, and I just kept doing this. He never blocked me, and I had never played defensive end. And Wooten looked at Charlie Army, and they both looked at each other. And the next day in spring ball, I was number 99, and I was a starting right defensive end. Nice. And it had to do with Wooten. If it hadn't have been for Wooten, and by the way, I was 290 at that time, now 289, somewhere around there. Just I was about to hit 290. You know how kids are. All you're trying to do is get bigger, right? And so I cut weight. I got down to 255, and my whole life changed. It, my whole Everything changed. And, and it had to do with, I had a different philosophy. I had all that basketball. I was superiorly conditioned in terms of running. So I wasn't going to get tired. And I just believed, why would I run into this guy and bull rush him when he's got lead feet? That's why you're at tackle, because he's got fat rear end and stumpy legs. That's the way it was <laughs> back in the 70s. They put, they put you over there because you were fat, you know. And, and my philosophy was, I'm not going to touch him. He doesn't have the ball. So a couple of people acknowledged that. And th- that was my story. I, that's how I got over there. And I, I never looked back. And I started watching film of Dreyer and Cedric Hardman and, and all the guys that, you know, uh, I admired. And then I started running distance. And I, and I dropped my weight. And I hit the weight room. And my whole group changed how I thought about myself and I knew I had a lot of work and an uphill battle and that's how it happened Al uh let me ask you about one of your teammates um that 
that I know you think of very fondly. And Al, when you think about the forgotten, the forgotten great players, this guy's got to be in the list. And you played next to him. Billy Sims, Al. How good was Billy Sims? And what would we be talking about him if he hadn't had that knee injury? We'd be talking about the the, uh, leading rusher in the National Football League, Hall of Famer. Um, uh, Every kind of accolade that you could, no no offense to Emmitt Smith or any of the other guys, but I got to tell you, uh, I was a holdout in, uh, I think it was 1979. Um, and uh, by the way, I should mention to you guys, this is a little secret. Don't tell anybody. I would have played for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell. <laughs> so, I, so I'm holding out of camp. I don't get to see this rookie, right, from Oklahoma. I think it was and 1980, come, Al. might have been 80. It was, it, was, it, was, it was 80. It was 80. It was 80 that I walked out of camp. I just, it just came. Thank you. And, and so I get to see this guy. Now, I'm a holdout. I come in. I'm mad because I don't get what I thought everybody was getting at the Pro Bowl. And, and that's usually back then where it came. You know, you'd be sitting down with Joe Green and you'd say, hey, man, I make 25000 They'd be like, 25000 And, you know, so I come back and I'm like, hey, Joe Green said I should be making, you know. And, uh, man, we had a play. They had a play called ISO that uh, they put in for this guy, Billy Sim. And the quarterback would reverse pivot, not block the end, and boom, they just pitched the ball. And you one-on-one with Billy Sims, right? <laughs> Billy Sims took off around the corner, and he slanted his shoulders, and he just ran all the way down the sideline. And Monty Clark blew the whistle. I guess somebody messed, messed up uh, one of the receivers. Now, I'm trying to catch him. This is the next play. I know what play they're going to run. So I got a little wider out there. And they ran the same play. And they pitched the ball to Billy Sims. I take an angle like I'm going to touch him. He ran right by me. And I thought about it for a minute. And I said to, uh, at the time, uh, his name was Jimmy Ray. and He was the running backs coach. And I said, run that again. You know, you know. And Monty looked at me. I just got back in Campbell's the first day. I said, run that again, you know. And we lined up. I know they're going to run this ISO. I get a little wider, and they pitch the ball to Billy Sims. And I take this angle. I I take an angle away, anticipating where he's going to go. He ran right by me. I came back to the hall and said, man, I've never seen anything like this. That guy was phenomenal. And he was the strongest guy on our team in the seated bench, in the seated shoulder press. He had shoulders like no one else I'd ever seen. And I don't know if you guys have seen many highlights of him, but Billy didn't pass up legs. He would hit you. You know, Billy would, like, he wouldn't, he wasn't a Barry Sanders kind of guy. He was a slasher. He saw the hole and he hit his foot in the ground. And I'm not kidding you, he was going 100 miles an hour. And I would see him in practice. They would put a play in, like Monty Clark was big on what they call Bob blocks. Pull the guard, block the in man, and trap the um, the outside guy, whoever showed his face there. Billy was slashing there. And if you've seen that Rams game, uh, when he just really broke out 
uh, I was I was holding out. I was watching it from TV and watching it on TV. When we got into camp, I would see him run that. I got to tell you guys, no one, maybe Dickerson, no one could plant their foot and be going a different direction like Billy Sims. And, and that's including Barry Sanders. He was a different kind of runner. And the, the one thing that I respected Billy for was if the hole was clogged, he made a hole. He made a hole. He was a very, very tough guy. I really respect Billy Sims. We're speaking with Al Bubba Baker on the eye test for two. And uh, Bubba's been so kind to join us, not only from the Tampa area, from a McDonald's in the Tampa area. That's how good he is to us. Yeah. <laughs> He's joined us from a McDonald's. Anyway, um, I've got a couple last questions. And, and one is Mike O'Hara is a good yeah. friend of ours. I uh, told me a story yeah. about how you learned your pass rushing techniques that you saw on TV. And he said, you didn't learn them on a, or you didn't hone them on a football field. You did it in a cemetery. You want to explain that to us? Is that a true story? Absolutely. You, you know, North New Jersey called Brick City. And, the, you know, the only place that you could play football where there was grass was graveyard. And, <laughs> and now, I mean, think about it. Newark, New Jersey, you know, it's a city. And there was across the street from us was a big hospital. I lived in the Weekway section called Beth Israel. And Beth Israel, your other option was Beth Israel had a big parking lot. It was right across from my house. They tore down a bunch of homes and they put in a parking lot for a hospital. You can imagine the size of it, but it had lines on it. It looked like a football field. So you either played two-hand touch on the blacktop or and if you wanted to, you know, tackle, you had to we'd go to this place. Um, it was Week Wake Park Cemetery. I mean, it'd be, you know, be 12 or 13 of us and we play touch football and uh, it would turn into tackle. But the way I learned was I would learn uh, arm over like um, at the time, Fred Dreyer, he was the master of it. And uh, and I would practice it, you know, in, in the cemetery. Like I said, only place where there was grass. And it wasn't, you know what I mean? We didn't go there to the uh, the face of cemetery thing. We were just kids and we didn't have any grass. That sounds weird, didn't it? <laughs> but <laughs> we weren't we we weren't we weren't trying to smoke it. We just needed a circle <laughs> where we could actually where we could actually tackle each other. And we did. And so, you know, it, 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 you know, Moose thought it was funny, but when I look back at it, I think of it as being resourceful, using what was available. All right, you have any uh, others? Yeah, uh, I got one more, Clark, one more for Al. Um, Al, I want to ask you about a couple of guys, uh, one you played with, one you played against, Al, and, and their names come up a little bit in terms of Canton. Uh, I'm wondering what you think. Al, you played a, okay. a, against some really good left tackles, those fat guys you talked about, Al, with the stubby feet. Okay. Um, but, Al, one of them played for a bad Falcons team, and his name was Mike Ken, and you played against him several times, Al, and I'm wondering, uh, I think you fared pretty well against Mike Ken. How tough was he? Mike Ken was probably, between Mike Ken and a, and a young kid named Munoz, um, those were the two guys that brought out the best in me early on. You know, I was a little bit ahead of both of them. 
Mike Kim was from Michigan, and of course Munoz from USC. Um, I, I think Mike Kim belongs in the Hall of Fame, uh, honestly. But when it came to Mike and I playing against each other, Mike had a weakness that I would never share with anybody while we were playing. And uh, his, his weakness was he, he, he was a guy that knew the technique. He was a technician. But what, what his weakness was, was for a guy like me that didn't run right into him, if you, if you ran like you were going to smash into him and stopped and kind of jumped away, right, he dropped his head and he was six foot six like I was. He was a tall guy. And that exposed him. And back then they didn't have all these little girl, little baby jerseys on with the shoulder pads built and you could get a grab on and I could get a hold of him. And, and once I did that one time in a game, he'd go to pieces. And he and I, we had great respect for each other. You know what I mean? He, he, the minute he made a mistake, cause he was a, he was a technician and he was perfect. So I would play, this was during the era, Ira, where you didn't get timeouts. So you could get a guy and if you were superiorly conditioned, you'd wear him down in the two minute drill. And whenever I had played against Mike, if I got him once, I'd come right back and get another sack. Cause in his head, he'd be like, I'm too good for this. This can't be happening. And I'd get him while he was down. And then the rest of the game, he'd kill me, you know, cause because, you know, he realized I bit on that dog on it. And so every time I saw him, I try to have something like that, that he hadn't seen. But he's definitely a Hal of Famer. He's, you know, he's yes, a, uh, he's a Al, last one for me. Thanks so much for doing this, buddy. And I hope I see you around, uh, around town. Al, here's a guy you played with for three years near the end of your career. We talk about him a lot on this show, Al. We thought he had a shot a year ago. Clay Matthews. Al, the guy lasted 20 years, quality player. Uh, what was it like playing with, with Clay Matthews? I had never seen anybody work harder than Clay Matthews. I wasn't shocked that he played 20 years. He took care of his body. Um, the way I think about Clay Matthews is, is, is when we would watch film on Monday, he had cat-like feet. His feet, if you, if you, when you get a chance to watch him, his feet were like a cat. He, he was never off his feet. Never, ever, ever. I mean, the guy, they would come out to cut him. And, you know, back then, the, the running back, we called it Brown. It was to the outside. And Clay was an, obviously an outside linebacker. They would come to chop him. He would just push him down. And you'd see both his feet come out and go right back down. I mean, you just couldn't get him off his feet, which in the National Football League, is a tremendous attribute because in my day, everybody was trying to, you know, chop your legs from under you to get you to put your hands down so they could throw over you. None of that worked to play Matthews, man. He, he's another guy. Uh, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I, in my opinion, you know, I think the guy's uh, not only a quality player, but he was solid every year and tough. He tough. was solid and tough. And unfortunately, Bubba, he was a Hall of Fame finalist this year in his last year of modern era eligibility, and he didn't make it, so he goes into the senior pool. And I think you know what that's all about. That's a tough where play get out of. But yeah. Al Bubba Baker, thanks so much for spending time Thank with us, guys. especially in between 
I don't know, was it Happy Meals or Big Macs or whatever we're doing <laughs> at McDonald's today? I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> but how, thank you how, so how, much. How boring is this? How about a salad? That's all my wife. She's that, oh, that's my wife, yeah. too. That's my wife. A salad. Too. Yeah. But yeah. Not, only, not only thanks for joining us, but really congratulations thank on you. being recognized thank you. as a single season sax leader and also one of the greatest pass rushers of all time. And I hope, I honestly hope we're talking about you for the Pro Football Hall of Fame someday. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ira. Thanks, hey, thank you, Ian. All right. Thank you, Clark. You got it. Thanks very much. All right. That was Al Bubba, Thanks for having me, guys. Um, who's a former member of the Silver Pass Rush. And, and um, I, I got to tell you, I mean, he is Hall of Fame worthy no matter what he says. I mean, 74 sacks in his first 67 games. You know, that was all with Detroit, um, which is a little That's over crazy. a sack. Yeah, a little over a yeah. sack a game. And I do think he deserves Hall of Fame scrutiny. You're on the senior committee. That's got at least this talk about single season records, got to at least draw some attention to him. Doesn't Ira? I mean, Shouldn't that put him at least in the conversation? Yes, it does, Clark. And along those lines, if it does, the guy we should thank uh, is John Turney, along with some others, Clark. Yeah, that's correct. I've been thinking about this, Clark. Can you imagine all the work and research these guys had to do to, uh, to give guys like Al Baker their due. I mean, a fantastic job by Turney and the guys. Fantastic. That, that correct. And, and you know what? They broke down every game. And I did talk to someone who I respect very much. And he said, you know, isn't it amazing? The, the uh, uh, NFL can spend $5 million on trying to determine whether Tom Brady knew how much air there was in a ball. And they can't spend a nickel on going back to get the sack records straight. And I think that's absolutely correct. Hey, our uh, final thoughts? Other well, than you wish you were in Santa Barbara, other than that? <laughs> uh, Clark, you know, I'm here in Buckland, and it's like the good ship lollipop. It's all positive, Clark. Everybody's back. The injuries are minimal. And all around them, Clark, you know this, all around them, teams are blowing up. They're, they're self-destructing. They're yeah. having problems. And here go the Bucks with one of the great off-seasons in NFL history. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And I, I look forward to seeing them in the playoffs again. I, I want to mention, by the way, um, uh, Greg Knapp, who was the uh, uh, Jets uh, quarterback's coach who passed away from a bicycle accident uh, last week. And, and he I covered in San Francisco. Great guy, a terrific coach, always cooperative. Um, really sad story. It's uh, uh, something that's a great loss for the NFL and somebody I'm going to miss. Anyway, that's it. Um, that's going to do it for this week. But you can stay with us. Yes, you can stay in touch with us. Ira, you tell them how. Where can they find you on Twitter? At iKaufman76 or, or call Santa Barbara Collect. Either that, yeah, or try Ian Glendon. Ian, where can they find you? At IGLEN31. Yeah, and I'm at, at Clark Judge TOF. And of course, if you don't find us there, we don't hear from you there. Ira, where can they find us? On the eye test for two, Mr. Judge. You are correct. Welcome back, Ira. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>